are back in the football shed, the weekly podcast for fans that live in the wrong time zone, like we do. My name's John Hewitt, and Jeff King is here. Good day. And Roger Gibbs is here. Hello. Good day. We are back in our own houses, talking via the internet. Jeff's internet connection doesn't look or sound awesome, so there may be some delays. But you know, we can we can get through this together, like we're getting through coronavirus together. <laughs> when you say back in our own houses, you imply that we at any point have left them. No, that's a fair point. Um, I am still in the same room that I've been sat in talking on the internet for nine hours already today, and I'm doing the same thing in my free time in the evening, which is great. <laughs> um, Rog, did you bring a beer with you? I did, yeah. I'm um, Now that my third child has arrived... Yes, we should... Uh, I can drink to my heart's content. Yes. So since uh, the last podcast, Roger has had his 14th child. <laughs> <laughs> and now has a full squad of football team. They're all very self-sufficient and just look after each other. Well, congratulations, Rog. Um, we missed you last week. We, weren't, we didn't release a pod last week because uh, Wilf was joining the world at the same time. Um, Jeff, did you bring a drink this week? I did. I bought two drinks with me this week. I bought a beer, and in case my beer runs out, I've just pre-poured a glass of wine. Oh, smart move. Smart move. Yeah. What beer is that, Jeff? I just saw a generic green can. A venom. A Venom Pale oh, venom. Ale. Yeah, it's a nice beer, a Venom Pale. It says, it says dangerously good. Dangerously. I think it's a very affordable and delicious beer. Wow. Great. There you go. Talking affordable and delicious. Aldi wine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm consistent. Oh Although, uh, again, we've run out of the uh, best Aldi wines. So I had to spend $2 more and get the not so good one. Have you thought um, about getting wine somewhere else? Maybe trying to support some local producers, John? I, Roger, um, you know better than that. Yeah. I, Aldi is the localist shop to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they like win lots of local awards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I also went to a um, to Black Heart and Sparrows, which is where I buy my beer from, the local bottle shop, uh, and bought a bottle of wine the other day because it was pretty nice anniversary, and spent you know more than five dollars. Um, was it that much better? I don't know if it was. Ten times better than what you pay usually. So, I think your palate has just been permanently adjusted to Audi Red, so that now nothing else will cut it for you. No, I'm a connoisseur, Roger. I'm a connoisseur. Um, so this week uh, we always start with a question, but Jeff's going to do it this week. But before you do, Jeff, I'm just going to do our bit of admin. Um, if you want to get in contact, ask us a question, tell us we're wrong about something. Um, you can find us on Facebook, just search Football Shed or email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. And of course, tell your mates because they're basically doing nothing at the moment. So they should be listening to us once a week when we come out every Thursday. Now, Jeff, over to you for your question of the week. I couldn't let this one slide by without um, bringing it onto the shed, and I didn't think that I could force-feed this fact into a conversation today, so I've nominated myself for question time. So, can you name the two, 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 footballers, two footballers who have scored... Has Jeff's internet broke again, or is he just repeating himself? <laughs> who have scored in every minute of the ninety? Oh, wait, so sorry, Premier League footballers, or no, no, just footballers. So they scored in minute one, minute two, minute three, minute four. The only two in footballing history who have scored in every single minute of a game of football. Ronaldo, of the ninety minutes. What was the answer? Sorry, Ronaldo. Ronaldo is one. Zlatan? Well, we've really just taken the fizz out of this question. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> there awesome. you go. And good. So we'll be back in the shed next week. Thanks, yeah, everyone, for listening. Well, I've, got, um, I've got a question that I was going to do anyway, which is a, um, a who cost more question. So there's oh, three great. of them. Um, and you have to decide. So you can do it as a competition. 
um, who cost more for each club. So between Fred going to Man United and Kevin De Bruyne going to Man City, who cost more? Fred. Fred. De Bruyne, 55 versus 52. Oh, I thought Fred was 56. Um, Joe Linton to Newcastle or Mustafi to Arsenal? Joe Linton. Mustafi to Arsenal. No, Mustafi was 26, wasn't he? I thought he was 40. Joe Linton was 40, Mustafi was 35. Oh, he plays 35. Nicholas Pepe to Arsenal, Kepa to Chelsea. Kepa. Pepe. It was Pepe, 72 million. Kepper, 71.6. But it's also every one of these I got wrong. (laughs) It's a funny one, though, because Arsenal didn't really pay that much. No, I think they paid like 4 million, and now they've got to pay 72 post coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. Over the the next seven years. Um, So, what we're going to do over the next few weeks, just to give everyone a bit of a plan, because it's strange times, we thought. We're going to look through every team in the Premier League, um, try and get through two, three, four a week and just kind of look at how their season's gone so far, um, what they're doing well, what they're doing badly, how they're reacting to the COVID-19 scenario and then maybe what life looks like for them on the other side of coronavirus. So each week we'll do a bit of a coronavirus news and any football news that's happening, which um, there's a few things we're going to talk about this week. And then we'll look at a few teams each week. Um, so hopefully we'll look at Arsenal, Aston Villa, Bournemouth and Brighton to, today, time depending. Um, but before we do that in football news, I think the big thing that's been happening this week is the near-happened Newcastle takeover, um, which looks like Mike Ashley's finally leaving Newcastle. And so we lose one jerk and then we get a whole country jerks come in um (laughs) (laughs) uh, basically this is a a consortium that are backed by the saudi arabian um government um that are coming in to take over newcastle and it looks like it's going to happen where Um, does amanda stelvey fit in this is she just like the middleman yeah she's kind of the face of the project she'll be on the board um and she's there just organizing getting the rounding up the money basically it's dodge this whole thing is dodge and disgusting i'll start with the dodge and then i'll work towards the disgusting and then there's a glimmer of hope towards the end of it um it's like a good now, movie firstly, yeah yeah i'm looking for i'm going to strap myself in <laughs> Jeff. looking forward to this <laughs> apologize if i get any of these details wrong uh my notes written by my dog never stopped um, you before jeff no, don't have a dog but didn't have any notes either so same same um so so that amanda chick right um amanda what's her surname stealthy stealthy story amanda story amanda stevelos so she she um originally approached mike ashley was it six months ago and he publicly came out and said she was a joke I think, I think we've spoken about this before. Like he said, she was joke, didn't mean business. Like basically, just couldn't come up with the goods. She was a time waster. And I've, I've done a bit of complimenting Mike Ashley in the past and shit. And and that's not through footballing reasons, of course. He's just a very astute businessman. Newcastle United's wage bill when Mike Ashley took over was eighty five percent of their turnover. And the first thing he did was he got Michael Owen and Mark Paduka off the books. Now when he said tells the club, if he sells the club this month, it will be 65% of their turnover. That is an incredibly well-run football club. It's a profit-making business, right? We know that. But he's been reluctant to get out because he's continually made a profit. Right, so these, these, this consortium that, that are taking over the club is, is made up of two brothers plus the uh, Saudi Arabian sports arm of the, of the royal family, you know, the sports investment arm, you know, or the, not even the sports investment arm, what is it? The it's just their, their global financial the investments. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. We'll talk through the disgusting in a minute once we've gone through the, the detail. Um, and this, this Amanda Stravalos, Stravamagnatis, she sits in the middle and has put these people together. So the what I find interesting, right, so so these these brothers, I can't remember their surname, they've got money. Can't remember what they do, can't remember their surname, dog out my notes. Uh, they've got money. 
And obviously she's been, she's pieced them together, but they don't have enough money. What was interesting is that um, the papers that were filed with Company House about the, the transition of ownership of British-based business had this really strange um, payment structure that was tied to St. James's Holdings. Have you heard about this? No. So St. James's Holdings is the holding company that Mike Ashley uses as a vessel to own um, uh, Newcastle United. Obviously, he's a very astute businessman. He doesn't own Newcastle United. He owns he's a majority shareholder of a holdings company that he set up to own Newcastle United. But there is a £100 million transaction, which is a loan with interest from St. James's Holdings to Amanda Strebelik-Bilakalakadakabidis. Right. Now, what this means is that, so, so dig deep into that, Mike Ashley is lending Amanda money to fulfil the value that, Newcastle United is being sold for. So, so let me let me just just repeat that. That just seems bizarre. In, in more detail. Well, for interest. So what he's done, Mike Ashley, the shrewd, shrewd businessman, is he's put his club up for sale for three hundred million pounds, or just over three hundred million pounds, whichever story you want to believe. She, as he said before, is a time waster, can't come up with the goods. The difference between the goods she could come up with and what he valued his club at, he's now decided to lend her for interest or lend the consortium. He's not lending it. St. James's Holdings is lending it, which means that they're, they're buying it for less than they than it's worth. However, they're pay, spending what it's worth. And Mike Ashley is earning interest from a loan to buy his own football club from him. He's acting as a bank, which means that he's going to make not just the money off the sale, he's going to make the interest of the loan that he's given to the purchaser. Now, that... Number one is shrewd business. Number two, it seems insane. Number three, that man really wants out of football. Now, sounds like it should also should be, be illegal. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's very um. This is, we're not even at the disgusting. We're not even at the Saudis yet. The wait, so, so sorry, just the Saudis are involved, right? How is there not enough money in this deal? It's just. They were short. So, you know, you can't question how much money the, the Saudis have got, but what they're willing to invest in this in this right. project is not what was valued. And she wanted it to go through. So she borrowed the money, which borrowed the money of Mike Ashley. What is um what is interesting is is the U-turn of Mike Ashley. And I think if we are gonna credit that bloke with being you know, having his finger on the pulse from a business perspective, and he runs a very successful sports direct business, and right now they are thriving in the in the world of internet transactions, sports direct are king. So when everyone is sitting home locked in lockdown trying to spend the little money they have left, he's sitting there and at the forefront. So he's not struggling for cash. However, he has seen something in the infrastructure of the Premier League that makes him want to get the hell out. He's all he's and, furloughed all his stuff. I mean, I don't. I, I just think we should canvas this. What like he might be a good businessman, but he is a horrible human being. Yeah, he's horrible, a cunt. Horrible, he's horrible. a complete complete cunt. Uh, the, the, like you don't. If you listen, you don't need me to tell you that he's a cunt. If you know, if you're even interested in this conversation, you're going to walk into it knowing that he's a cunt. However, the, the, the fact is he has put a, he's put his money behind leaving football as a businessman. This should be a concern for all football fans. This should be a concern for all football clubs. What he has seen as a framework that sits behind what's going on in the Premier League right now with the coronavirus made him want to invest $100 million of his own money to leave. That's a problem. I think that should be a red light for us all. You don't think... Because, I mean, he's been... He's been willing to sell though for a long time, and that long predates COVID nineteen. His he's just always wanted to sell it for what he deems to be the right price because he's making money. So he hasn't been in a hurry to sell it. But I think he would have sold it twelve months ago if someone would have given him what he wanted for it. And yeah, but I don't think he's. Didn't, well, didn't but I don't think either, dropped, He hasn't dropped his price other than this loan scenario. But surely he could have done this loan scenario a year ago and he didn't. Maybe this, Maybe. Isn't, this isn't groundbreaking. Well, it's strange, don't get me wrong, but, it, but it's not something that he didn't have the finances for last year. But right yeah. now he wants out and there aren't enough buyers. So, okay, so let's, let's move from the strange to the, to the disgusting, really. The, the involvement in Saudi Arabia. Now, have you seen the article that's just been released today from BN Sports? 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is also, when I say, okay, so the reason why Mike Ashley wants out should be concerned for all Premier League fans. The, the letter, the open letter that BN Sports have sent to the Premier League and the second letter that they sent to all Premier League football club owners should be of extreme concern. So, so BN Sports, for, for those outside of the UK, um, are the largest TV rights owners of the Premier League. They um, broadcast Premier League in all of Asia, Pacific, the, the Middle East, parts of Africa. It's absolutely huge, something like five billion pounds over the next few years, BN Sports will be pumping into the Premier League. More, more than uh, Sky. Mm. More than Sky. They're the biggest rights purchaser of the Premier League. Now, what BN Sports have been trying to do for the last three years, so in Saudi Arabia, there's a set-top box. You know, this set, it's called B1Q, I think. B-E-O-N-E-Q. I think that's a Q. It's an Arabic, so it looks like a Q. Um, now, it's a, it's a set-top box. It's a, it's a kind of fake Sky TV, free-to-air type set-top digital TV box, right? Now, this set-top box plays Premier League in Saudi Arabia, North Africa, and the Middle East. However, they don't pay for the rights. It's dodgy. It's dodgy, but it's advertised. Like, it's the the single, according to this letter from BN, it is the single largest, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Pirate. I'm not counting, pirate. Single, the single largest pirate, um, mechanism that the world has ever seen because it's bought and sold publicly you can buy them in shops you see adverts on billboards this thing is everywhere it's on top of everyone's tv and it streams the premier league owned by a saudi company now being can we buy them here this thing down yeah, can you can you buy them in England? Can you? Uh, BN have been trying to shut this thing down for three years now. They've been trying to solicit lawyers in Saudi Arabia. They've been they've been doing everything they can to shut this thing down because it's absolute rights infringement. However, no lawyer in Saudi Arabia will take this thing on. They listen and they go, mm, nah, not for us. Essentially, because the Saudi government have sanctioned this thing. So, if the largest sponsor of, of sorry, I mean, the largest purchaser of TV rights for the Premier League is saying. We will essentially, there will be consequences if you as the Premier League approve a, a, a invested stake from the Saudi government into the Premier League when this is what we can prove they have been doing for the last three years and they have not chosen to do the right thing. We've threatened court, you know, we've threatened all these things and they've said that they are not going to comply and yet you're going to let them buy a, a controlling stake in this. This is costly for every single Premier League club. So that's another thing that should be concerning for everyone. Has it? Has this gone through? Sorry to cut you off. But has this? We're sort of talking about this like it's going to happen. There is now this process of um, vetting potential owners of clubs after what we've seen in the in the football league. Or is that only for the football league? Does it not apply no, to the that, Premier there League? Isn't, right. There's a good and proper person. Have they got through this? Has that has that been passed yet or not? It's bullshit. The, sorry, okay. I remember when 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 Bury went under. Um, the fit and proper persons test is not about whether you are a fit and proper person. It's about whether you are currently bankrupt, or whether yeah. you can legally buy shares in a company in a country. All it is, is basic rights record or anything. Just, but I just uh, yeah. but is but is the is the fact that a a state body or you know an organ of the state is going to purchase a football club in the Premier League, that's a bit different to anything else we've got. Like no, I know that's what Man City are as well. So it's not that it's I not massively different to what we have. What's different is the human it rights record of Saudi Arabia. Um and they're kind of doing it in a roundabout way by doing it through this consortium. Um and not to just say that um Man City are fine and great or whatever, like the human rights record behind their ownership. Yeah is not the best. Um, and we've kind of got to this point, but now we've got to the point where we've got to the real crappest of the crap human rights record, and they're going to come in. Um, the, the thing that concerns me most is that, if you read, uh, there was a great article in The Guardian, it was just, it didn't have any opinion on it. It was just interviews, and it was pure quotes. And it was uh, fans of Newcastle, it was people who were high up in the kind of fan um, the anti-Mike Ashley groups, there's ex-players, it was kind of people that are really close and involved with the club, local business people, and all of them kind of were just so glad that Mike Ashley's going 
and they all mentioned at some point, oh yeah, it's a bit bad about the Saturday or everything, but oh, it's all right. And there really, there was no voice going, I'm not, I'm opposed to this. I'm going to stop going. I don't like it. It's People don't care. If their football team can get a bit better, they don't care what happens in the background. And I think the sad thing about this is that it will go through and Newcastle will do better and Saudi Arabia will plough a load of money into Newcastle and the surrounding area and build it up. Um, and they'll carry on doing what they do back in Saudi Arabia. But it, but it works. It works. Look at it. You, you know, it's a term for it. It's sports washing. We, yeah. We've seen it happen mm. with, with Qatar. So, you know, since Qatar started... You know, no one was Barcelona's sponsor. We, we know the story. Barcelona wouldn't accept a sponsor until the Qatar Foundation, the charity, the Qatar Foundation, <laughs> were, 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 were put on Barcelona's shirts. And then two years later, suddenly the foundation bit was left off and suddenly they're supported by Qatar. And, and suddenly now Qatar Airlines and, and, you know, these are loss-making businesses. Qatar Airlines and the sponsorship of Barcelona makes you feel, oh, a bit comfortable with Qatar. Qatar's okay. Actually, this, the, the, the modern-day slave trade that goes on in the construction industry in Qatar is something that we should all be disgusted by. And the fact that corruption made that possible for the World Cup in 2022, it's a disgrace, but yet we, we, me, you, John, mm. you, Rog, yeah. you, you view guitar differently because of the sports washing. So even though you know better, the fact that you're indoctrinated by it being on every single Barcelona shirt and you love watching Messi play means you just, it normalizes the process and normalizes the, the players involved. And I think that, um, yes, okay, the argument is where do you stop? Should we have stopped at Abu Dhabi? There, there is a difference. The, it's, it is private money that's coming from from the UAE. It, it is private money that's coming from Abu Dhabi. It's a government investment firm that's coming from Saudi Arabia. It's literally, you, they're not even hiding. They're going, this is how our government will make money. It's going to invest in this vessel, which will improve our public relations, which will then make us money, down the, you know, downstream money somewhere else. It's, it's an absolute disgrace, and we should be completely disgusted by it especially sorry i'm going to keep running on this especially at a time where the our community seems more important you know our, our football club doing something in our local community is something that we're proud of where money's come from whether they're fur- furloughing their their staff all of these things are coming into the spotlight and actually this is the point where we should go well, well what values do we have as football where, do, where does it where does it most matter? It most matters by having your, your chairman knock on the door of an old fella who can't go get his dinner, you know? And they're the things that we're proud of. This is the absolute opposite at a time where we're most connected to what football should be. But then it is, it is and you're, you're spot on, but also in a time, if I'm a hardcore Newcastle fan and I'm sat there going, there's no football on at the moment. We've had Mike Ashley in charge for 10 years. That's been crap. I've lost my job. Everything's going a bit crap at the moment with COVID-19 stuff. We, after this, might have a really wealthy backer and we might be in three or four years' time pushing for the Champions League. You know what? That's something to look forward to. I'm going to look forward to that. And you like, you can see how, I'm not saying it's right, but I can see how everyday fan just goes, don't really care. Like, as long as I get, there's some money in it. I think it shouldn't be, and we spoke about this before. It shouldn't be in the fans' hands or the fans' position to make a decision on whether a state with a poor human rights record should be allowed into the Premier League. This is this be, is the problem, John. This is the governance. You, you rely on the governance. So, you know, how many times during the last six weeks in every country in this in this planet, not every country, minus Vanuatu or whatever, you know, <laughs> just not testing people for this thing, have gone, I wish I just had a bit of governance. I wish someone told me what was the right thing and the wrong thing to do because it would make everything less confusing. You know, it's happened here in Australia, it's happened in the UK. You wish that there was some governance. So when you look at football, you're told who is fit and proper. No one knows the details of the fit and proper person's test. No one knows that essentially it's just a credit check. That's essentially it. You don't know that. It's called, you look at the tabloid, it's called fit and proper. Oh, he's going to have the test. Is he a fit and proper person? Oh, yeah, he's a fit and proper person. Get him in. He's going to be bloody great and give us all Christmas presents. That's not the way it is. And, and, and what we need is governance. What we need is someone to say, actually, this is not right. This is not fit and proper. As soon as the Premier League says that this is okay, everyone who supports the Premier League goes, oh, well, maybe they're okay because the Premier League looked into it and I trust the Premier League. But it I is just a vessel for trust. I feel, Jeff, though, that 
we've seen this before. Like the, you know, the the Emirates, the UAE have a pretty appalling human rights record. The previous Thai Prime Minister, when he uh, Thaskin Shinawatra, when mm. he took over Leicester, also had uh, Amnesty International had you know documented numerous human rights violation in in his country. But didn't he get so, kicked out? Didn't didn't he get he get expelled? Yeah, but then the Premier League still went. Yeah, the Premier League still still were still taking him. So I, I mean, I don't, I get it, and I, but I just, it will happen because we've seen it happen before. Like I just don't, I don't have any faith in the Premier League suddenly growing some, you know, some morals. No, no, it doesn't. Some some moral fiber and backbone. I just Mm. feel like the, they're. You know, they'll just see it as money, more money coming into the Premier League. Great. I mean, I think they'd be more concerned about the pirate issue. That's the thing. So so they they don't beautifully because of this, because of the fact that you know Saudi Arabia have been cunts before the fit and proper persons test, and they've been doing this stuff. And and BN, this whole situation is the only glimmer of hope that we have, because right now we're at a time where what Bournemouth have eighty five percent of their income coming from the TV money. You know, we're at a point where t- the the fact that um, Burnley have said that if they go six months without the Premier League starting again, they will go under because of the value of that TV money check is. Now, if the biggest purchaser of TV rights turns around and basically says, if you let this happen, we will reconsider our arrangement with you because of what you will represent and what we've been struggling against. If if Whose money's better? The unpredictable money, the you know, a new owner in the in the Premier League, one of twenty new owners, you know, one of twenty owners when there's a bunch of billionaires in there already, or the biggest rights holder in the world. Actually, this is this is the only thing that the Premier League will wake up to. It, it has to be because not only have they sent it to um, the Premier League, but BN have sent it to every single Premier League team owner. So they've gone. You need to protest this because this puts your TV money at risk. If you let these guys in and they condone that and that's how they operate, then you're all signing your own death sentence. Then, okay, to conclude on Newcastle, do we think it's going to happen, Jeff? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Rog, do you reckon it's going to happen? Um, I've got no idea. I think it's going to happen. <laughs> Good one. So, uh, yeah, I think it's sad, but I do. I think... feel like we've been here before with Newcastle and Mike Ashley, so nothing would surprise me. Like, no. uh, you know, I, it, yes, it, you know, there's lots of positive noises coming out of Newcastle at the moment and in the press about it, it proceeding. But at the same time, I would not be surprised at all if Mike Ashley turns around tomorrow and says, actually, I've decided I'm going to keep Newcastle. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this this one, this one, from a Mike Ashley perspective, he is not going to be the person that puts the pin in this. It, it's imagine if I said, "Rog, I've got. Do you want to buy my bike? You go. I'll lend you money to buy my bike. You buy it back from me with my own money, but you pay me interest on that loan. You you'd be an idiot to take it, and I'd be an idiot not to go through with it. But and I, that's I, exactly what Mike Ashley's doing. Well, one, so I mean, Saudi Arabia are particularly bad, right? And we know so Amnesty International have also written a letter to the chief executive of the Premier League and essentially said you should really consider this before you allow mm. Saudi Arabia to you know become part of the Premier League because of their documented human rights abuses and it just begs the question and we've talked about this a bit in football so we talked about it with the World Cup in Qatar as well and how much difference can can sport make and what duty does sport have to take a moral standpoint because let's face it Football, we've talked about it a bit recently. Football is, whilst we all love it, it's still largely a commercial entity and money is the main driver like most other businesses in the world because that's our system. And, you know, we see in all sorts of other things, people do shit things because it makes money. Um, And I just, but I wonder, so I have no faith that they will consider you know, the human rights violations in whether or not they allow this to go ahead. But should they be? Like, where where do, where do you guys see football's... I mean, sorry, this could be like a four-hour discussion, I realise. But I mean, <laughs> just to, I'd just be interested to get your 
you know, just your off the cuff thoughts on whether you think they should be considering that or whether it's a, it's separate to football. I think they should be considering it, but I think the years of ignoring it means they can't change their stance now. So we are in a position where it won't be considered. Dug our own grave. But we've gone too far down a tunnel that we can't turn round. So we just got to keep going. I don't but know. You have to draw I, the line somewhere, surely. You know, there we, isn't a line. Maybe like, there isn't a line. Yeah. We set expectations for players, right? So, so it, it, it's not where the line is. It's where the line stops in football, just football. So, you know, you have um, instances where Wayne Rooney sleeps with a prostitute, right? And he's captain of Manchester United. Sorry, bad example. But, but um, when was that? 10 years ago? Or whatever. Um, anyway. 25 years ago, I think. <laughs> anyway, gets caught with someone in the back of a taxi, right? Now, he has to come on TV doing a press conference and apologise, saying he let the fans down, he let the club down, he's club captain. He has to apologise to children. He has to say, my behaviour is not a good example of what it is to be a footballer and play for this great club. Right, OK, so there's a line. We've, mm. we've already drawn a moral line that the influence of footballers that has on the nation is important enough for them to come on national TV and apologise for their own personal actions when they're not even at work. Right, so why are we stopping that line of footballers? If an owner, let's say if, if let's use someone different from Mike Ashley, let's, let's go um, Daniel Levy. If Daniel Levy, the Spurs owner, was caught with a... Although know, he's not, he's the, not the owner. No, okay, well, where's the line? So he would, would he have to come on TV and apologise? Probably. He probably would because he's he's employed by that club. He represents the club. So why isn't the Premier League going? Okay, the, where's where does the why does the line stop with who owns the club? But at what point the morals leave the conversation when we make such a fucking huge example of them at a lower level? And when I say lower level, I mean the captain of Manchester United. But Jeff, that's our society. That's like the way if, it you, is, if yeah. you have enough money, you can get around any law essentially like they've they game the system all the time because they've designed the system like it's i don't agree with i think it's disgusting but that's that's we've got a government in place in the uk who only look after one percent of the population but they've been there for you know two terms like it's it's just what happens the and you almost hit on the perfect example jeff by talking about spurs because the Spurs owner is a guy called Joe Lewis, who no one remembers or no one can name. You can't even, if you Google him, you can't find a picture of him. Like he's this mysterious man. You can't find him. In the Caribbean. He lives in the Caribbean, has nothing to do with the UK. All his money is in offshore accounts. He owns Spurs. He talks to Daniel Levy on the phone once a week about Tottenham and leaves him in control of it. He's one of the richest men in the world. No one knows who he is what he's about, where his money's from. I couldn't tell you whether he... Oh, we do know where his money's from. It's from um, it's from speculating on currency. So yeah, he's probably... Yeah, he's, a currency, he's, yeah. he's, he's a currency trader, so he's probably making money from COVID at the moment. Yeah, he's having a great time. Lots he's like, money. this is his dream. Um, but, but we don't know whether he slept with a prostitute last night or not. It's not going to make front-page news. If Wayne Rooney does... It makes news because he's the public. He's the face of the football club. Harry Kane is the face of Tottenham. Joe Lewis is the guy in the background that no one gives a shit about. And that's what's happened is all these rich people that we don't even notice have snuck into the game. Um, and now you have Saudi Arabia sneaking in and all sorts. And we're kind of in a scenario we can't get out of. But, but I kind of hope... I, t- I tell you one thing. I, I hope I they guarantee- do make a stand here. Because I think that their their human rights record is particularly appalling, and it's current, and it's it's known, and you know they're certainly not apologetic yeah. about it at all. And so I mean, I I this what an opportunity to take a stand and perhaps give some credibility back to the Premier League. Yeah, and and at a time, as I say, where TV money is so important. And at a time where everything is in such chaos, it's a great time to make a stand because it won't cost you anything to make a stand because you're not making any money anyway. Yeah, no, that's true. Do, do, um, do you know what I mean? If, Newcastle. We've can, been I just, up, can I just make one guarantee? I guarantee that if they take over, I won't watch Premier League for a month. Wow. That's on record. For a month. Until at least June. So, you, no, wait, no, you're talking about when Premier League comes back. <laughs> If you won't watch it when Premier League come back, I'll take that seriously. <laughs> no, maybe maybe July. 
I won't watch till July. <laughs> I, I promise. Well, on that note, we should move, we have just spent half hour talking about Newcastle, which is probably more than we spent talking about Newcastle all season. So I hope Newcastle fans enjoyed that. Um, does anyone have any other coronavirus-based football news they want to talk about? I wanted to quickly bring up that the Dutch league looks like it's ending. Um, so they've come out and said, we're going to conclude now because the government has said that they can't have any public gatherings for another three months. Um, so they've just said that's the end of the league then, done. And they haven't decided how they're going to end it as such and who's going to win or not. Um, and Ajax have top on goal difference, I think. Um, and I just think this this is all ridiculous. Like, surely... I mean, I look at UEFA here. We've now this is the second league that has done it, and I do love that. You know, you have countries that um, love each other, and usually they're <laughs> close together. And they always on Eurovision. They no matter how shit the song is, Ooh, they always always despoir. Um, so Greece and Cyprus is a classic example, and another <laughs> another classic example is Holland and Belgium. Now, yeah, the Belgians yeah. were the first, obviously, to declare their league over. And I feel like, you know, the Dutch league have probably been feeling a little bit like they've left their Belgian mates hanging a bit and they better jump in. But UEFA need to show some governance here. How difficult is it to get a Zoom meeting up and talk to the heads of football in all the different UEFA nations and say, right, we have to have a common consensus here. I, you're all going to have different levels of um coronavirus in your society and have different aims but we need a common consensus so we have to look at where you know i suppose where it's been established for the shortest amount of time and so could go on for the longest and base it on that and come to a common consensus because i when i see this happening with belgium and now with holland how what's going to happen because they need to for things like the european competition it has to all match up well, UEFA have said you can finish your league if you want to, um, and we want you to finish your leagues by the end of July. And if that involves playing games, great. If that involves you going over, then right, okay, that's what you do. But then by the end of July, they want to do that because they want to play the Europa League and Champions League rest of those games in August in a kind of tournament-style fashion so that in September the new season starts. That's their idea. Right. Um, so leagues now are kind of working out how they can get everything done by August. And some leagues are just going, like Holland just came out when the government said we can't do anything for three months. We've got to scrap the league. League over. Yeah, yeah. done. Um, then that's, that's driven by good governance. And I don't mean good governance because they cancel football. I mean assertive governance both by the government and the football governing bodies. The government yeah. have come out with a clear instruction to for the next three months, you can't have government. That's not going, okay, well, we're going to decide every three weeks. We'll come out with a new press briefing every day. And we're going to go, what do we think? Or maybe a few weeks, but we've got a few benchmarks to get to. Like, that's crap governments. Uh, yeah. In Holland, they've gone, next three months, no. Okay, great. Everyone can form a decision off the back of that. Yeah. And, and I, you, I do you think, though, policy off the back of that. I do think that... Um, the fact that Belgium have gone, Holland have gone, Scotland are very close to going. Every league but the Scottish Premiership have gone. The Highland, yeah. the Highland League was the first trendsetter out there. Yeah, that big league, the Highland League. <laughs> um, but I do think it sets a precedent. And I, the, the longer there's no football, the more and more I think that football becomes a distant memory. And the... Upset. So sorry, what what are Dutch league? What are the Dutch league doing? Are they saying current, current position don't stand? Don't or don't no, don't know, don't. You interrupted me for something I already said, and we don't know the answer to, Rog. That's really sorry. good. Good input there. Carry on. <laughs> well, it was, it was a question. Um, what was I so what are the Dutch league doing? Uh, no, <laughs> the Dutch league is coming round to kill you. No, um, the, um, they're. <laughs> Because the football is becoming more and more of a distant memory. You know, when it all first finished and we were all kind of like, oh, you can't, like Liverpool's so close to winning the league. The emotion for me, and like I'm not a Liverpool fan, but as big, the further away you are from the when football was played, the idea of just canning it and starting again 
becomes more and more real. And I think that'll be the case as more and more leagues do it. I think we'll see more and more the movement of people going, you know what, we just got can it. And yes, maybe we have to do some promotion and no relegation or whatever, but I think we're going to end up at a canning spot. Yeah, I think I worry more about the relegation. Like, there's a little bit of me, like, yes, it would be awful for Liverpool. But at the same time, I think all Liverpool fans out there, there's a little bit of them would secretly love it because they would be able to increase the weight of the, the chip on their shoulder just that little bit. <laughs> and it would probably drive them for the next 10 years, like the sense of injustice. So, I, I you yeah, know, maybe yeah, there's that side yeah. of it. Um, John, was, I've got they, were, one. they weren't destined to have that chip removed yet. I've got one other very quick coronavirus news, yeah, go good, good news story. I don't know if you saw, but the Roma players, um, led by Captain Edin Dzeko. I never saw him as captain material, but um, anyway, they've all agreed to um, not take any salary for the next four months and are also contributing to all the backroom staff's wages. Wow. Um, yeah, essentially, absolutely. in order to keep the club going and functioning. Um, and I just thought in the world of footballers, that's a really selfless um, act. And I was quite quite impressed with that. So, did you, um, in, the, in the same country, did you see that Romelu Lukaku came out and said that 23 of Inter's 25-man squad have been sick? With coronavirus? Oh, no. Well, he didn't specify. He just said just, in the interview that he, he thinks it's as high as 23 out of 25. And usually um, the, well, the the thought process is the club should fine him for releasing that, but the club have chosen not to punish him, which means that you would assume that information is correct. Wow. Yeah, Jesus. Um, well, just we what, just what to... you want to hear is, is your country is about to head into winter, eh? Mm. He should have gone back to Belgium. Oh, yeah. Then I'd rest. Um, yeah. Talking of rests, I do think that this, I might have mentioned this before, but this break for a lot of players, like everyone's going to come back so refreshed. Like, we always say, oh, they play too much football. There's too many games. They keep going or whatever. Everyone's going to have a year off. So everyone's going to be super fit. So whenever we start again, that season of football is going to be the best ever. Um, but, anyway, yeah, I think, but I think it'll be, it'll like be the best those, those ever. People with, um, Sorry, Jeff. Those, those people with injuries uh, have had a good old chance to come back and train and get their fitness up. Um, I feel like we're there's a catastrophe on the way, which is those whose contracts are going to expire in the summer, because you're you're looking at football delaying post contracts expiring. So, um, uh, I wish I had a list of the players, but it's quite significant oh, yeah. the, the amount of Premier League players whose contracts are going to expire. So, so what do they do? If the Premier League goes for four games after the contract expires, do they just down tools and sign somewhere else? Or, you know, it becomes a bit of a farce. Um, let's move on to our Premier League team reviews because I reckon we've got time <laughs> for one this week. <laughs> it wasn't going to be four. But then we never know because next week there may be no progress in coronavirus world and we'll get through five. Um, but we're going to do it in alphabetical order. So top of the alphabetical league is Arsenal. Um, Arsenal started the league uh, this season with Unai Emery in charge. Always having... time for some Arsenal bashing, John. <laughs> Always plenty of time for that. Um, and they broke their transfer record and signed Pepe for £72 million, or maybe £4 million, depending on how much they paid right now. Um they're sat in David the Luis, don't forget about that wonderful oh, yeah. signing. Yeah, David Luis. They did also buy Kieran Tierney at left back, who I thought was a good signing. Um, and Martinelli, the striker they brought in, um, the young kid. But they sat in ninth and they fired the manager and hired Arteta. If you're an Arsenal player, coach, fan at this point, when you're having your sit down going, I've got plenty of time to reflect, am I having a good time or am I upset with where I'm at? Well, well, you remember you remember when we were involved in this season and football was still happening. Everyone in the top twelve thought that they were in with a chance of the Champions League. You, you remember you you look at it yeah. here because it was so so incredibly tight, and because of everything that's happened at Manchester City, which we haven't spoken about, amazingly they've they've dodged a, a bullet of shame of being the biggest disgrace this year. Actually, you know the whole season will just crumble. Good, good on, good one, 
City. Maybe it's all their fault. Um, the, the, after that Man City news, and we were looking at fifth becoming Champions League, you know, Manchester United are, are sitting there with 45 points, but Arsenal have got a game in the hand on 40. So they, they would be sitting there in ninth, thinking, well, we're two points off the Champions League if we win our game in hand. You, as I say, you, you look down to 12th and think that 12th spot thinks that they have a uh, shot the Champions League. You, you, it was a crazy, crazy season. So I don't think anyone at this stage in the, in the season between 5th and 12th is thinking they're having a bad year. However, there's a caveat to that. I don't think that any of them are thinking they're having a good year either. Well, I, and I, I mean, the table doesn't lie. And I know, <laughs> I know, I know it's not many points, but I think ninth is a fair reflection of how Arsenal has played this year. Forget about the points. And I think that they should be disappointed. I think Arsenal would have gone into this season looking at what's happening with Chelsea with the transfer ban, looking at what's happening with Man United being in a state of flux. Uh, somewhat and Solskjaer there and the honeymoon period definitely being over and going yes Liverpool and Man City you know we're not going to be challenging them but we should be banging the door down for that fourth spot and particularly you know after investing a bit of money and I really don't think that they have but the other thing I I also think that it's tinged as a fan with an element of positivity because one of the more impressive things for me about Arsenal this year has been some of their youngsters, particularly yeah. um, uh, Sacco coming through. Sacco, um, sorry, um, at, at left back, and and, and and you know, seen Willock, Martinelli. Like there's a there's a few that uh, Nikita who's come back like. I don't think Arsenal are that far off being really good again. But at the same time, I just think they lacked direction this year. I don't necessarily think that changing the coach was the right thing to do. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think Emery was the right man for the job. So I, I don't quite know where I put Arsenal, to be honest. But I, I, I don't think I'd be um, happy. But... I'd sort of still have some optimism about the future, if that makes sense. I am, having had plenty of spare time to look at old football in recent weeks or whatever, I've kind of gone through a few season reviews on Optus or watched some old games and bits and bobs. Arsenal used to be really, 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 really good, like proper good. And they probably had the best team in the Premier League ever and a couple of the best teams in the Premier League ever, um, the 98-99 version and the 2004 version of Vincibles. Um, and they were brilliant and they were machines and they won and they beat everyone and they were better than everyone. They're ninth. That's embarrassing. <laughs> like from watching, uh, old, yeah. watching those old highlights and watching of how good they were, to being sat mid-table mediocrity in reality and us going, oh, it's quite nice. They've got quite a good young player called Willock. He might be good one day and maybe their coach is OK. I think it's actually a disgrace having watched previous Arsenal teams recently and seen how good they are. Well, but John, it's sat not... where they are. It's rubbish. But it I'm hasn't... It, but where I'm going to disagree with you is that is on expectation level because this hasn't been a sudden decline. This has been a slow and steady decline over a number of years. Wenger mm. stayed too long. So I don't, I think they're about where they are, which is somewhere between ninth and fourth. And I don't think that, you know, they should necessarily have expected anything else going to this year. I think they would have. I think though, to fall from so far from being the best team in the league and having some of the best players in the league to just being, oh, well done for coming seventh. Like that's Everton. Yeah, well, well, what about Man they United, John? They lived through a Walcott and Shamak era, you know, and and Nicholas Bentner and Shamak up front. Yeah, like they really did survive off scraps in the top floor. We say uh, Wenger left too late. He did leave too late. It was stale for the last two years, and we know that. But we also, there was a point where Arsenal were mediocre in the top four consistently. We, we, you know, we say top four isn't a trophy. Was it Mourinho who said top four isn't a trophy? I would agree with Mourinho, but disagree with downplaying that um, 
that a significant achievement yeah. because what he was achieving top four with was a really dirge team and a team for the bargain basement, you know, but just bought into his ethos. I, I, I think he took them further than he should have given their team. Okay, so Arsenal... Score uh, out of 10, John. For their season so far? Yeah. Four. Four. Four John's and a half. John's convinced me. <laughs> because you'd argue that they have the best front two, not the best front two in the league, but the best front pairing in the league. I don't think Bemiang and Lack is there. There is a team in the league that has a better 4 4 2 type two strikers. I know they don't play that, but you I, know what I mean. think yeah. the. Whoa. You right, Rog? Wow. That was an amazing freeze then. I think everybody froze. Oh, okay. We have some internet problems. <laughs> That you was go, brilliant. Rog, what were you going to say about Arsenal? Well, I, I mean, I, I think the thing that is most damning about their season so far is I think you looked at that team. Anyone that knows a little bit about football could have looked at that team in the summer and thought about what they need to improve and be able to compete for the Champions League. Um, at the same time they lost one of their only central midfielders to Juventus and didn't replace him. And then they signed another attacking wide player who they have a few of already and didn't buy any midfielders. And, you know, they thought that David Luiz was a solution to their defensive deficiencies. And I just, <laughs> you know, that's madness. Like, and I just feel like they've had, they haven't had clarity about the football they're trying to play the players they're trying to sign I just there hasn't to me been a coherent plan and thought process to how they're being run as a club Emery has a very specific way he wants to play didn't really have the right players for the job okay we'll change to Arteta have we got the right players for the way that Arteta wants to play I don't necessarily think that they do and there's been all these changes and I just I think if you look at their squad on paper it's actually pretty good and they're not that many players away but at the same time you've feel like they're you know miles away from challenging for the league miles where okay so where let's move on to post COVID-19 Arsenal what do you think life looks like for all them on the other side like do they in a world where the world the, the league scrapped we forget this season and we start the next season do Arsenal at the start of the season think they're gonna finish top four um, do they have lots of money to spend and they're going to go out and go, does a Bemiang leave? Like, what does life for them look like after COVID-19? They haven't got lots of money from everything that we read, or they haven't got an owner that is willing to invest lots of money anyway. Yeah, they have a lot of cash in the bank. but they're not cash flow, yeah. yeah. Um, I think they'll be aiming for top four, but in reality will be somewhere between ninth and fourth. Yeah, I, I can't. I still think that Arteta is a lie. I think because he was Man City's assistant manager for three you know, Pep Guardiola's assistant manager at Man City for three years and quietly sat there just saying, Yes, I'll do whatever you say, Pep. I'll put the cones out. Doesn't mean he's going to be a good manager. <laughs> so I don't think that like, I could sit next to Pep Guardiola for three years. Doesn't mean I'm going to be a good manager. I'll learn some stuff. It doesn't mean I've got the same people skills or the same drive or whatever. So I don't. I just, yeah, I'm not convinced Arteta's very good. I think Bemiang is going to leave as well because he's 29, 30. And in reality, where's he going to go? Um, I think he'll go somewhere big. I think a Real Madrid um, or a Bayern Munich. I think he's one of the best strikers in the world. And he's realising that now and going, I've been at Dortmund and Arsenal for the best years of my career. I want to win something. So if I was him, I'd go to a PSG. Do a Percy, go somewhere to win the league. But yeah. is there a reason why why he hasn't gone to one of those clubs though? He maybe maybe Arsenal he's not quite as, as good as we thought he was. No, I think just right. I think he thought Arsenal were going to do something and he just got sold a lie. 
Or, or they just they just underachieve. You've got sold honesty when you look at the squad and the ambition and the new stadium that you, you bought into it, and probably rightly so. But then they just didn't live up to the expectation, which is what we've all been saying. But we look. I mean, at, post coronavirus, they're, they're in quite a good position. They're, they're, they've um, they're able to bring money back in quickly because their stadium, their corporate facilities, as you say, they've got a good cash flow. So they're able to make a choice about money. You know, they're not sitting here like Sheffield United or Burnley or Crystal Palace where they they will be dictated to by the scenario they're in. They can dictate their own scenario, which means if they if they smell blood, like if they look at um, rich owners of, of Chelsea or Leicester or or the share market in Manchester United, and they think, actually, we spot a, a hole here that we can fill because of the, the global climate, they're in a position to fill that hole. And they can invest what they want to invest from a cash flow perspective. So I think that they are very, very well run. That puts them in a very, very good position to rebound quickly, as long as they don't lose key players. And I think Abemiang is the player that they don't want to lose. Because if you're going to make any kind of charge, you need goals and you need a supply line. As you say, they've got a good right back, good left back. They got they don't really have a very good centre midfield. Well, they got they a good right that. back. No Who's defense. their right back? I just, I just, well, but he hasn't been playing this year. It's because he's been injured. Yeah, but everyone's yeah, everyone healthy again, Roger. Yeah. The I, I just, pause. I, everyone's back. If you look at those Arsenal teams that you talked about, John, yes, mm. they had the they had the flair players and they had you know some brilliant creativity, but they also they were winners, like you said, and they had a a very strong spine. And generally, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but if you look at the best teams, they have a strong spine. You look at the centre backs, you look at the central midfield, you look at that part of the team. And that is what Arsenal have lacked for years and still lack. And I and you can put all the window dressing you like on it. If you don't have those parts of the team right, you're going to struggle. And I still think that that's exactly where they are now. And they've, they've been in that position for years. Um, OK, let's move on from Arsenal. That was so our plan to do four teams a week. We got one in, so that's a good good start. <laughs> but it means if that's the way, we still got twenty weeks to fill, so that's fine. So, <laughs> has anyone got any side stories before we go on to the end game? No, I've got one about Joe Cole. Um, I think I brought it up a couple of weeks ago that Fabio Capello called David James uh, Calamity James um, in an interview. Yeah. Oh he, yeah. He didn't use his real name, just called him, oh, it's Calamity James. Joe Cole came out this week and was just like, it's a disgrace, you can't call him Calamity James. Which, I, I mean, it's pretty rude. Um, if you, your old boss came out and in the press went, oh, yeah, Rog, oh, fat guy Rog, yeah, he was crap at you. <laughs> we, all, we all did it, though. Everyone called him Calamity James. The press yeah, did. No, just because everyone we, does we, it doesn't we, make it right, Roger. It's not his bosses, and you didn't put it out in press. Like we may have said it on a podcast, but we're not in a uh, in the press as his ex boss. So a fair play to Joe Cole. But that was my only side story. Is it fair play to Joe Cole? Yeah, stand up for his mate, Joe Cole. Mm, he's fat though, isn't he, Joe Cole? <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's mates with Rog. Um, <laughs> Right, are we ready for end game? No, no, uh, no yes, ready. Okay, ready. Go on with it. So, uh, I am games master this week because I won. So the scores on the board are Roger nine, me eight, Jeff seven. I've been on a bad run. Um, Roger, I think you were winning nine five five at one point. So yeah, you've been on a very bad run. Now. My plan was, because we're going to talk about Arsenal and Aston Villa, we didn't get to Aston Villa, but I looked at an Arsenal and Aston Villa game. And I found the last time Aston Villa beat Arsenal in the league, um, which is in 2013. So it's the 17th of August, 2013. It's the first game of the season at the Emirates. And Aston Villa beat them 3-1. Paul Lambert is in charge for Aston Villa. And Arsene Wenger is in charge for Arsenal, of course. Jesus, 2013. Now, Rod, you lost last week, so you get to go first. When you are ready, pick a player that played. 2013. 
Um, seven years ago. Arsenal against Aston Villa. This is like, I think, the hardest time period. If you go back further, I'm okay. <laughs> and closer. Tw- 2013. Hole. Who even won the league in 2013? Chelsea? Uh, yes, I think so. I think it was Mourinho. Because it's 2013-14 season. So I think it was the year Mourinho won it second time round. Um, it's in the days of a flagging Wenger Arsenal side. Um, and an Aston Villa side that was beginning to head down the league. Any thoughts, Rog? No, I'm no, I'm really struggling here. Um, Absolutely, nobody is leaping out at me. Uh, We've mentioned. Come on, on, Rog! No, don't give me clues. We've mentioned at least two. We've mentioned at least two people that played for Arsenal today. Your time's running out, Rog. Just name anyone. Think of anyone that, like Hector Bellerine. No. no. <laughs> no it's so it's so I, I've crap. gone. I've just gone a complete mental blank. Um, Jeff, you've got a, 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 black, to get a right. black hole for me there. Uh, Fabregas. Oh, no, he was at oh, Chelsea. No. He was at Chelsea then, was he? Oh, oh. oh God, this is awful. Um, Back to Rog. Chesney. Correct. Chesney played in goal for Arsenal. Um, Flamini. No. Oh, no! Raj wins. Is he on the bench? Nope. Oh. So the, the Arsenal team, that was awful, you two, by the way. <laughs> Jesus. Can I, tell you, can I list it all? Okay, so I've got on my list, tell me if any of these would have been right. Van Persie. Okay. No. It's gone to United. Right? Walcott. Yes. Uh, Arshavin. No. No. Abu Dhabi. No, no. How many of these like two thousand and four? You've gone. No, <laughs> you've gone back way too far. Oh. Look, 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 listen to this team, and you'll all like Sejni and Goal, Kashelny, Sanya, Murtasaka, Kieran Gibbs, Oxley Chamberlain, Ramsey, Thomas Rasicki, Jack Wilshere, Theo Walcott, Oliver Giroud. Yeah. Like, you know all oh. those players, and they're all pretty much all still playing the Premier It's League. the time, John. I tell you, those it's like the 20, when was that? Tw- 2012 to 2015 is a black <laughs> hole. Absolute black hole. Who played for Villa? Um, the Villa lineup was Brad Guzan, um, Baker, Loughton, Luna, and Vla. Uh, Ron Vla. Ronnie Vla. Yeah, <laughs> Ashley Westwood, Fabian Delph, um, Karim El Hamadi. Oh, Andy Vyman of Bristol City. What a shit team. (laughs) (laughs) What a shit team. And up front, Christian Benteke. Oh. I've seen the piss out of you so bad, but I was really bad at that too. That was awful. That was possibly, probably the worst ever. I think that's interesting though, that it, it is that time is way harder than any other like if you go 2003 or yeah. 1993 or fine you're all in yeah but 2013 it's just a hole um but I did like that Jeff was very very confident <laughs> the thing is I didn't even have Flamini written down I just thought about it off the cuff on my ass oh, definitely <laughs> definitely Walcott was there for like 20 years. He was the one to go for. And I had Agbong Lahore there too, written down on my list. Yeah, Agbong Lahore played for Villa for 35 years. That's Walcott it, was yeah. my next one. Um, has anyone got anything before we go? Hang uh, our heads. We're really bad at that game. Yes. Well, do you know what that means though? So, Rog, you, did you, you won that by default, didn't you? Yeah. So that puts you on 10 points. Um, so I'm on eight. Jeff's on seven. Rog, your quiz master next week. Yes. Yeah, but Bellerin was really bad. Yeah, Bellerin was the worst. Well, was Bellerin as bad as Cedric? 
No. <laughs> <laughs> Least bit Bellerin play for Arsenal. Um, when did Bellerin arrive? Oh, he's been there a while. Oh, uh, he's always injured. Yeah, but I reckon he's been there five years, so I don't think I'm that far off. Well, oh. seven, seven years ago, though. <laughs> he's in like 22 now. Who was right back? Sanya. Bakary Sanya. Bakary. Anyway, let's go. Uh, it's been great <laughs> to talk to you all via the internet. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back next week and maybe we'll get more than one club review in. We'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the um, team reviews. Yeah, that was good. Arsenal was a good start, a bit of Arsenal bashing, and then Villa next week. Um, but don't forget, if you want to get in contact, ask us questions or tell us we're wrong about something, just find us on Facebook or shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. See ya. See ya. Bye. Bye.